Today is Father's Day, as Tommy mentioned. It's a day that the nation honors uh, its fathers. And certainly it is a day that as we think about uh, fathers, we, we have to reflect on the situation that we face in this nation today in terms of our fathers. From a website called The Foundry, I gleaned this information that in 1960, nearly nine in ten children lived with two parents. Today, less than seven, or fewer than seven in ten, live with two parents. And that was back in the result of the, as a result of the 2011 uh, census here in this country. And so instead of a two-parent home that was more characteristic of our nation many years ago. Children are increasingly living only with their mothers, up from less than one in ten in 1960, more than one in five today. Bulletin article that we featured this week from Dan Gully and Roger Lane Sr. begins, Austin L. Sorensen said, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his Father. And that really well introduces our lesson today because that's what we are calling upon fathers to do, and that is to show us the Father. You remember in John 14, Philip came to Jesus and said, Show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Verse 8. Remember how the Lord responded? I Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Well, Philip really couldn't with any validity say that to the Lord. But we can say it with validity to our earthly fathers who are here today and to any who may hear this lesson in our podcast or in some other fashion. We can say to you, show us the Father. The Lord was the very image of the Father on earth. And while we are not perfect and cannot be perfect as was our Lord in being the very express image of the Heavenly Father, we certainly are to strive for that standard. Be therefore perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 48. And so that is the standard that we are to seek to achieve as fathers. And so we call upon our fathers today on a day that the nation honors its fathers. We challenge you, if you will, to show us the Father. How? First of all, by feeding your children as the Father feeds us. You know, we're reminded that God provides food for His children. In Matthew chapter 6, as a part of that great Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 24, there in verse 24, the Lord reminds us that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then He launches out from that point about mammon or material things, with a therefore, verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, etc. And then he goes on to explain that 
the Father knows your needs and that the Heavenly Father will feed you. As a part of that Sermon on the Mount, we have the model prayer, a part of which exhorts us to say or pray, give us this day our daily bread, that the Father in heaven provides food for his children in the physical sense. We prioritize, we put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, and all these things we're promised will be added to you. Not to say that we're not to, to make the effort because fathers are to provide for their families, praying God's blessings upon their efforts. And 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 reminds us that if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's very clear language exhorting fathers, challenging fathers to be the providers for their families. But we're reminded that God gave us Jesus. He gave us the bread of life. One of the great I Ams enumerated by our Lord as he walked the earth in the gospel according to John. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And in that context, he went on to say that we are to eat that bread as it were. We're to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. What did he mean by that in John chapter 6? He meant by that that we are to fully imbibe, imbibe the teachings of Jesus. That the teachings of Jesus are to become such a part of our lives that it could be said that we have eaten the flesh and have drunk the blood of the Son of God. In other words, that indeed we are not nominal in our approach to Christianity. But truly Christ lives in us through the word that we have eaten, if you will, the word that we have digested, the word in which we have delighted and continue to delight as his children. God gave us the bread of life. As earthly fathers, we're to give that bread to our children. What, a, what an awesome responsibility it is, and yet what a wonderful privilege it is as heads of families, fathers to be privileged to give to their children, to feed their children, not only physically, as 1 Timothy 5, 8 admonishes, but obviously to feed their children spiritually and to provide for them the bread of life. Father, show us the Father by feeding your children in emulation of the Father in heaven and how he feeds us. Provide for them physically, but most importantly, provide for them spiritually. They're both important. Don't do one without the other. Father, show us the Father by your faithfulness in dealing with them. God is faithful. God is faithful in dealing with man. Hebrews 10.23 reminds us of that, and there are other passages that could be cited. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, there the writer admonishes. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful who has promised. There's the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. The one who has promised is faithful. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, knowing that the one who has promised us all spiritual blessings in Christ and the eternal life with him in heaven, he is faithful. God is faithful. And his faithfulness will never waver. We need to emulate as fathers 
the faithfulness of God. That is, children need to see consistency from their fathers. And that consistency needs to be based upon our consistent following of the Word of God. You know, there have been statistics that have indicated that children really desire to see in their fathers consistent behavior that gives them something to which they can, can uh, attach themselves, a feeling of security based upon the knowledge that that father is there, he's the head of the household, he's consistent, he's following the will of God, he is predictable from the standpoint that you know he will always do what he believes to be right based upon the word of God. But that brings us to this point. Will he always do what's right? Is he perfect as a father? No. Human fathers are fallible. But it reminds us that as human fathers, we need to admit that fallibility. And when it comes time to tell a child, yes, at times, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Because I was doing what I thought was right, but I realized that I was unfair. That I was not consistent. And I want you to know that. That needs to be done by our fathers because it will continue to instill respect and fear in the father. And that leads to our next point. Father, show us the father by the fear you command from your children. What do we mean by that? That our fathers need to conduct themselves in such a way so that our children uh, live in dread and terror of them as to what is about to happen or what could happen if they uh, deviate slightly from the path? No. Ecclesiastes 12:13 tells us what kind of fear fathers need to command from their children. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Solomon wrote. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, as the New King James renders it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Or as some translations read, this is the whole duty of man. I like this is man's all, because this is man's all. This is why we are here. And the fear that we are called upon to manifest toward God is a fear that means respect. It is a fear that means reverence. It is a fear that involves admiration. In other words, it's a reverential fear. It's a godly fear. It is the kind of fear that looks up to an individual because that individual commands that kind of respect, commands that kind of admiration because he is one who is perfecting holiness himself in the fear of God. That's a great passage in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, which reminds us Paul does, therefore, after enumerating some of the great promises of God and the fact that God in the previous chapter will be a father to you, you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then chapter 7, verse 1, therefore, having these promises, the promises from the Father above, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And then we have the latter part of the verse. Doing what? Perfecting holiness, continuing to perfect holiness. More holiness give me, we have sung this morning. Very idea that is contained in this verse. Perfecting holiness how, though? 
in the fear of God, with that respect, with that reverence, with that admiration. Fathers, conduct yourselves in such a way as to command that kind of fear, that is, that respect, that admiration, that reverence in a sense, in the proper sense of that word, because you are one who is following God. Hebrews 12.9 reminds us, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, there's that word respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? We'll come back to this verse in just a few moments. We had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. We're going to talk about that correction in a few moments. Respect, fear, proper kind. Show us the Father by the fear you command from your children. But also we call upon our fathers to show us the Father by the favor that you distribute fairly to them. And this is a vitally important point. For those of us who have more than one child especially, we'll appreciate this, but God distributes his favor, his grace, that is, to all his children who are walking in the light. God's grace is available to all, and God's grace is extended to all who will accept that grace through obedience to his will. Remember, we talked in Bible class this morning about a passage, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so the grace of God has appeared to all men, and those who will accept that grace through obedience and walk soberly and righteously and godly in this present world will continue to receive that grace, the grace of God distributed equally to his children who are walking in the light without showing favoritism. Remember what Peter said at the household of Cornelius? Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so in the heavenly father, we have the perfect example of the one who distributes fairly to his children his favor. We must emulate that characteristic as earthly fathers. And fathers must not favor one child over another. You know, I like, I like sports well enough and... We had two daughters and then later adopted a son, our son Samuel. But when we had the two girls for so many uh, years, they had different interests. They had different personalities. One of them, Tiffany, Seth's mom, was interested in sports. Well, I like sports, so there could have been a tendency to have, have uh, perhaps shown some favoritism toward Tiffany because I could identify with her interest in sports, and Courtney had absolutely zero interest in sports, really. I think she tried to play volleyball here at Red Bank one time. Didn't work out too well. She didn't care for it too much. That was it. That was the extent of her sports career. But did I show favoritism to Tiffany over Courtney because I could identify with her interest in sports? If I know my heart, I did not. I did not. I could show the interest in the sports because she had the interest, but I could show the interest in Courtney's interests as well, though they differed. And we have to consciously make sure that we, for whatever reason, that's just one example, but for whatever reason, that we distribute fairly our favor to all of our children. 
Now let me ask you, do we have any examples in Scripture of those who didn't do that? We do. You think about Isaac and Rebekah. If you look at Genesis 25, 28, there you will find that, that Isaac, he loved Esau because Esau was a hunter. Esau was an outdoorsman and he hunted and Isaac loved to eat the game that he killed and brought to him. That's what the verse says. But Rebekah favored Jacob. And you know how that worked out. It worked out so that Rebekah encouraged Jacob to basically uh, usurp the birthright of Esau, who was the oldest, by going into uh, Isaac at a time when he was dim of vision and uh, couldn't see well and fooled him into thinking that he was giving the blessing to the firstborn Esau when in fact he was giving it to uh, Jacob. Then you remember how that worked out. Esau got so insanely jealous that he was going to kill Jacob and Rebekah. Rebekah had to send Jacob, whom she loved more, she had to send him away, and unless I've missed something, we have no indication that once she did, that Rebecca ever saw Jacob again. That's how that worked out. Not that well. Now, God worked his will through all of that favoritism and brought his ultimate will to pass, but nonetheless, that favoritism is evident. And then, ironically, we've got Jacob, for whom the favoritism was shown by Rebekah, his mother. Then sometime later, we've got Jacob showing that same kind of favoritism toward Joseph in Genesis 37 and verse 3. Israel, as he was then called, the verse says, loved Joseph more than all of the others. And he made a coat or a tunic of many colors. How did that work out? Well, again, God took adversity and worked it into blessing, but the adversity was that his brothers were so insanely jealous of him that initially they planned to kill him, and that was thwarted, and they sold him into slavery. How did all that start? It started with favoritism. And so as earthly fathers, we need to see these examples and avoid those examples. Jacob was human. Isaac was human. Rebekah was human. And so they made their mistakes just as we do. But let's look at those mistakes and try to learn from them. And as fathers, let's show the Father by distributing fairly our favor to all of our children. And fathers, we challenge you to show us the Father by the firmness of your discipline of your children. And that gets us back to the fact that God does discipline. There's no question about it. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, but listen to this part, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as what? A father, the son, just as a father does the son, in whom he what? Delights. You tell me that we've got that straight in today's world. What is the, what is the thinking of so many in the, in the world today? If I delight in my son, then I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. 
If I delight in my son, I'm not going to correct him too much. That would be unloving. No, it's just the opposite. The son in whom I delight, I will correct. I'll do it properly. I'll do it as I should, hopefully, in following God's word, but I will do it. And the most unloving thing I can do is let them run wild or just simply not discipline them. What about Revelation 3.19? When we come to the New Testament there, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, the Lord says. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The Lord makes it abundantly clear that because I love, I chasten. I rebuke. If I don't love, I don't rebuke. If I rebuke, then that means I love. And that's what our children need to see in our fathers. They need to see that kind of discipline. Fathers must discipline in love because that discipline will produce respect for authority, but failure to do so creates an atmosphere of disdain for authority, and it could lead to atheism. Our children need to understand and appreciate that because we love them, We are going to do our best to discipline them as God would have us discipline them. Back to that verse we mentioned earlier, Hebrews 12, 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who what? Corrected us. Doesn't the writer assume, assume there that human fathers correct their children? Of course he does. We've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. And if human fathers correct as they should, the children will respect them for that. I've read statistics in years past that indicate that children want discipline. They clamor for it. They desire it. It gives them security. It gives them, it gives them a feeling of well-being to know that they are loved enough that their parents correct them. Again, the responsibility toward parents is to do that correction as Christians should, but nonetheless to do it. We respect them. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? God does discipline, and God does allow us to be disciplined, if you will, with challenges that at times are most severe in our lives. But through it all, we must trust God and remain faithful to him. But discipline is a part of our lives. And we need to make sure it's a part of our children's lives. And finally, we challenge fathers to show us the Father by the fruit of the Spirit that they see in you. And what is that fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 reminds us that passage does of what that fruit is. But the fruit of the Spirit, first one right there is love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Oh, no, no law against love, no law against joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In fact, those fathers who are doing the will of the Father will show these qualities to their children. Show us the Father, and it would be sufficient for us, Philip said. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father.
A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Show us the father by feeding your children, fathers, as the father feeds us, by your faithfulness in dealing with them, by the fear you command from your children, by the favor you distribute fairly to them, by the firmness of your discipline of them, and by the fruit of the Spirit they see in you. But you know, on that last point, you can't show them the fruit of the Spirit unless you've been obedient to the Spirit's teaching in becoming a child of God yourself. And so if there's a father here, obviously anyone here this morning, who has not been obedient to the Spirit's teaching in believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24, believe that I am He or you will die in your sins, Jesus said. You have not repented of your sins, changed your mind about the sin that characterizes your life and determined to do something about that through repentance. As Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3, and again at verse 5. If you haven't confessed with your lips the sweet confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you need to do that because Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And if you have not culminated your faith in the final step that puts you into covenant relationship with Christ, and that is being buried with him in baptism. We plead with you to do that because Jesus also said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 16. If you haven't done those things, you can't show the fruit of the Spirit until you do those things. And once you have and you rise from that watery grave, having been cleansed in the water, not by the water, but in that water by the blood of Christ, you can rise to show the fruit of the Spirit to your children, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to everyone with whom you have opportunity to come in contact for as long as you live until the Lord comes again, whichever comes first. And oh, what a privilege it is indeed to spend your life as a father showing others the Father in heaven or to spend your life showing others Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you don't have that hope, because you haven't obeyed the gospel, we plead with you to do so. And if you know this morning as a child of God that you need to repent of sin that is public in your life, and what a beautiful example we have already seen this very day of that kind of courage, that kind of humility of heart, that kind of desire to know that you're in right relationship with God. What a beautiful example we've seen of it. If that's your need also, we plead with you to take advantage of this opportunity to come home to your first love and to once again leave here showing others the Father as you once did as we stand to sing.